So, it's New Year's Eve. It's that time of year again where we all make our resolutions, and on Tuesday we break them. How many of you are notorious for making resolutions on New Year's? Raise your hands, be, be loud, be proud, it's okay. You know, how many of you keep them all year? Me either. Me either. You know, and, and we do this, we, we make promises, and because New Year's Day, this time of year, it's a time to start over, isn't it? It's a time for renewal. It's a time for us to make new commitments. It's like, I don't know, I've talked to several of you already today, and I agree with most of you that I am ready to put 2023 behind me. This has not been a very fun year. For whatever reason, you know, and it seems like really since COVID, what was that, in 2020, these last few years have really been trying and difficult, um, not only in our personal lives, but in our church world, too. It's just been different. But a resolution, as we know, it's just a proclamation that we make to ourselves that I'll change my behavior in a certain way. You know, we'll make resolutions to lose weight. That's one I always start with. And then I end up having to make a resolution the next year for the weight I gained from the previous year. So it, it doesn't really seem to work for me very well, you know. And, uh, but we don't really hurt ourselves. We only hurt ourselves when we, when we break our resolution because... Honestly, our resolution is just a promise to ourselves. You know, it's it's not any it's not hurting anyone. But what about what about when we make a commitment to the Lord? You know, when we commit to Him, it is it is more difficult for us to fail that one because we don't want to let the Lord down. Today's message is from Joshua twenty four fourteen and fifteen, and this passage records some of Joshua's final words. Just to give us a little background, Joshua was an older man at this time. Remember, he was the one who took over from Moses and brought the people over into the promised land. He was a great leader. He led Israel against their enemies in battle. Some battles they won, some they lost. But even though Israel wasn't always faithful to the Lord, Joshua was. And I won his final charge to Israel to be a launching pad for today's message. My motivation for this message today is really for encouragement. I want us to be motivated as we look forward to 2024 to be strong and courageous, to keep our core commitments that we have as a church, which we'll go over in a minute, in case you forgot, in the forefront of our minds. When we ask questions like, you know, what is our vision? Where are we headed? I, I, I want us to know where we're headed as a church. But then there's also the individuality of this. Where are you headed as a person? Where are you headed as a follower of Christ? We know this, that it is not always a straight line. But the destination that we, we have, it's, it's clear. So let's read Joshua 24, 14, and 15 together and then and then we'll pray and get started. Joshua says this. He says, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. 
If it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now, let's pray and then we'll get started. Heavenly Father, we just thank you, God, again for your word and the power that it is. I pray, God, that that resonates in our heart for us to serve you. We choose you. That is the message I hope that we get today, Lord. And we just ask that you open your word in our minds and our hearts to hear what it is that you have to say as you speak your word to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, the context to understand where Joshua is coming from here, this really, his entire discourse to Israel in this final chapter of Joshua, at the end of Joshua's life, begins in Joshua 24, verse 1, and it runs all the way through 28. Now, we're not going to go through all of those verses today, but during the first 13 verses, the Lord speaks to Israel through Joshua. And in the first 12 verses, the Lord reminds Israel of all the great things that he has done for them. He reminds them how he kept his covenant to them through Abraham, that he would bring them into the promised land. And he would, and despite their disobedience and unfaithfulness of Israel, he has done just what he promised he would do. And verse 13 sums up God's promise to uh, Israel. Let's read verse 13. He says this. He says, I gave you a land on which you had not labored and cities you had not built. And you dwell in them. You eat the fruit of vineyards and olive orchards that you did not plant. Now, as we discussed in our Advent series in Isaiah, the Lord is a promise keeper. And when he says he will do something, we can be sure he will do it. Isaiah 55, 10 and 11 are two of my favorite verses in the Bible, and I want to share them with you. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. In verse 13 in Joshua 24 is proof of Isaiah's words. The nation of Israel is standing on land the Lord gave them. They didn't do anything for it. They hadn't worked for it. They hadn't planted the, the olive trees or the vineyards. They live in cities they didn't build. Everything that they have now, the Lord alone provided it for them. Last week we talked about the hope of Christ and his second coming and the promise of the new heaven and the new earth and where all of creation will be renewed back to the state that God originally created it to be. The land where we as Christians will live for eternity in our relationship with him. A land we did not labor for, a land we didn't build, and we didn't plant any of the crops. A land provided us by the Lord alone. A land the Lord will bring 
us into keeping his promise he made to us. And this, of course, is the great hope that we have. That nothing that we have, including our salvation, have we earned. Our faith is a gift from God. Works do not earn it. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, which is a verse that you have, verses you have heard here many times in, at Calvary, but need to be reminded of them. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Jesus came as a promise fulfilled by God. We studied that extensively through Isaiah's prophecies over the last few weeks. Jesus came to keep God's promise and to save his people from their sins. He came to open the eyes of the spiritually blind and to open the ears of the spiritually deaf, to heal the oppressed and the needy. Jesus came to build up the broken and to cleanse the unclean. He came to give his life as a ransom for many. He came as a servant. He went to the cross for us and he shed his blood so that we wouldn't have to. All of us need his mercy and grace. Again, a mercy and a grace that we didn't earn. But the Lord has freely given to us. As Israel would have never taken for granted, should, excuse me, as Israel should not have ever taken for granted God's faithfulness to bring them into the promised land where they are now standing. We should never take our faith in Jesus Christ, which he gives us freely, our salvation. We shouldn't take that for granted either because it is a gift. It is not earned. The greatest gift that you and I have ever been given. Now that we have a little bit of a context of where Joshua is coming from for these two verses that we're going to look at this morning, let's reread them together. These words from Joshua to Israel, they are still relevant to us in so many ways. Joshua 24, starting in verse 14. Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your father served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. If it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods in the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You see, Joshua is challenging Israel to make a choice. They have been a nation that has never been satisfied with the Lord as their only true God. And they have been easily enticed to serve other gods. With their mouths, they say they will serve the Lord, God only, and yet with their actions, they fail. And their devotion turns to other gods. They don't have the mindset and the heart to trust the Lord, even when things get complicated. They hear the promises of God and immediately forget that God is a promise keeper. Joshua challenges them in this last message to them before he dies. He challenges them to put away those false gods the idols of their forefathers, and to fear and to serve Yahweh only. Yahweh must be their only heart's desire. They cannot have a divided loyalty. 
because the Lord does not tolerate a divided loyalty. The Lord is a jealous God for the devotion of his people. He deserves Israel's worship alone. Isaiah 45, 18 and 19. We spent a lot of time in Isaiah the last little while, but that's because it's such a great book. Isaiah says this, For thus says the Lord who creates the heaven, He is God, who formed the earth and made it. He established it. He did not create it empty. He formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord. There is no other. I do not speak in secret. In a land of darkness, I did not say to the offspring of Jacob, Seek me in vain. I, the Lord, speak the truth. I declare what is right. The Lord, the creator, he is the only God. There is no other God. And the Lord does not hide things from his people. He speaks plainly in the truth because he is the one who determines what is right. Joshua's challenge to Israel is to serve Yahweh. It's not an option. Joshua tells them they must serve the Lord alone. But he also says if they do find this detestable, if they find it evil in their eyes to serve the Lord, then they need to pick which false gods they will serve. Now that's odd, isn't it? Normally it's the Lord who determines the path, but here is Joshua giving them a choice. They get to choose, and so do we. Who are we going to serve? Who are we going to serve? Are, we going to, are they going to serve the gods of their forefathers or the false gods of the people now that surround them in the promised land? It's their choice. Again, the challenge is similar for us. Will we serve Jesus only? Will he be our devotion? Will he be our object of worship? Will he be our heart's desire undivided? Or will we bow down to some other artificial gods that we are so easily distracted by? Charles Spurgeon puts it this way. Have your heart right with Christ and he will visit you often. And so turn weekdays into Sundays, meals into sacraments, homes into temples, and earth into heaven. Isn't that beautiful? This is what having a relationship with Christ does every day day becomes like church. It's a worship service at home, even at mealtime with our families. Can you imagine that? I had kids. I know what that's like. I also had three siblings, and I know what that's like. I know that worship time at the meal wasn't necessarily always joyous. But when we put our faith and trust in Christ, weekdays turn into Sundays. Meals into sacraments, homes into temples, earth into heaven. And then Spurgeon goes on and he says, A little faith will bring your soul to heaven, and a great faith will bring heaven in your soul. This is my hope for all of us this year, is that we would have a great faith. A great faith that will bring heaven into our soul. I want this to be an encouragement. I want us to have our hearts focused entirely 
on Jesus this year. I know it's been easy to be distracted by many other things, but we need to grow in our faith and trust in him. I know, I know that many of you do have a strong faith in Jesus, and so I'm not here to admonish you today. That will come in other sermons down the road, I'm sure. But today is not the day for that. Today I want to encourage you to strengthen your faith even more because that's what the Lord wants for you. As we head into 2024, we must keep our faith and trust in him. We must know that tests will come. Last week, um, some of you may not know this um, because you weren't here, but in our evening Christmas Eve service, uh, we came in and everything was fine at first. And then right before service started, we realized that the toilet over here in our main bathroom was leaking a lot all over the floor. And we couldn't stop it. And so we had to turn all the water off to the building. And we didn't have a large group of people here for our Christmas Eve service. It was good. We had, it was fun. It was, it was enough. But I have to tell you, as a pastor, I was really thankful to the Lord that he did not bring a giant crowd full of kids who had to use the bathroom because we didn't have one. But God is good. Challenges happen, but God is faithful. God is faithful. We have to look past the little bumps in the road to realize that he is in charge and he is the one who will take us home. He is the one who will get us over the hump. He is the one who will take us. When we go around the bend and we see like nothing but rocks and treachery and, and, and bricks and stumps and whatever else is in the way of our path, we have to know that he will carry us over that to the smooth road. He is the one. So how do we do this? How do we increase our faith as individuals and as a church? Well, here comes what you always get on January 1st. Well, the first one is, of course, is to develop a reading habit of the Bible, right? I know we talk about this all the time, but, but we need to fill our hearts with the Lord's word daily even if it's just a little bit. Do you know that you can read the entire Bible in a year if you just take 10 to 15 minutes a day? And I know that's hard. And a lot of us, that's one of the resolutions that we'll make is that we're going to read through the Bible. This is going to be the year. I am going to get through the entire Bible. I am going to do it. Well, here's what I know you're gonna get off track and you're gonna get discouraged. You're gonna be tempted to quit. You'll beat yourself up as a failure and tell yourself, I can't do this, my faith is not strong enough, I am a failure. But here's what you need to do to overcome that. If you feel yourself, if you find yourself off track, just pick up where you left off and keep going. There isn't extra credit in heaven for reading the Bible in a year. But it's good for you. It's good for you. God wants you to know about him. He wants you to see that, that he is keeping his promises throughout all of his word to us. He wants you to, to see how he has worked since creation through the prophets and now into the New Testament and beyond that into our lives now so that when we face troubles and trials, we know 
He will get us through. We can put our faith and trust in him. My wife, um, and some of you are probably just as good at this, but I know her best. She is my greatest example of someone who, is, who reads the Bible every year. Every year, I don't know, for like 15 years, Sherry has read the Bible. She is amazing. She is, she is relentless, and I'm, I'm grateful for her on that. I, I'm in the Word every single day. It's my job. It's what I do, and I love it. But I have to admit, I'm like everyone else. There are times when I get distracted in my personal reading plan, and I get off track. And so I understand what it's like. I get it. But it doesn't stop me from getting into God's Word. I need God's Word. If I take two or three days and I'm not reading God's Word... I sense a change in my heart and who I am. I need to be close to him. And if I need to be close to him, I know all of us need to be close to him. So don't give up. Find a plan. Figure it out. I've got a reading plan here that you can, you can take if you want. It's really small print, but you can, with a magnifying glass, you can read this, and, and you just check it off, you know, every day so that you know where you're at. And if you get off track, you can just go right back to it again. But understand, you are not a failure if you don't read it every single day. God says you're his child. You are a winner in his eyes. Make sure that you don't let the enemy of your flesh tell you otherwise. Be strong in your faith. Make it a goal to be in God's word. And the second one goes right with it, and that is to develop a disciplined prayer life. Prayer is a great gift the Lord has given us. Hebrews 4.16 encourages us this way that, then let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. We're encouraged to come to God directly to his throne of grace to receive mercy and to find that gift that he wants to give us. James 4.2 tells us that sometimes we don't have what we want because we don't ask God for it. You know, the, the, there's so many unanswered prayers that have never been spoken. I, again, use myself as an example. There are times in life when I just say, well, I'm not going to bother God with that. I'm just going to plow through and I'm going to make this happen. And then I realize after three trips to Home Depot or or any other failures that I might have that, you know, it probably would have been a really good idea to ask him instead of standing in this pool of water that I'm now in with no idea of how to make it stop. And so God is the one who we should go to first. As a pastor, I see prayer as being underutilized by people. And I, I, this next section, I wrote this, I don't mean this to be harsh. But I just want you to understand where I'm coming from. That often people will come to me and ask me to pray for them, which is great. I love that. And to give them wisdom over a situation that they're going through. Well, first of all, I'm not the answer man to everything. 
I try as best as I can to have the answers, and I know where to go to and find them, and so I will help. But my task as a pastor is to point you to the Lord, to him, so that you might hear me say, well, have you prayed about it? Have you sought the Lord first? And what does his word say? Because this should be the first place that you should go in times of trouble. God's word and to seek his face in prayer. You can already count on the fact that I am praying for you already. You don't have to worry about me praying for you because I do. I want our church to develop the habit of turning to the Lord first. Now, I'm not saying you're, you're not supposed to ask others to, to pray with you because you are. And, and obviously, you can ask me to pray with you. But I want you to understand that I can only do so much, but he can do everything. And he is who I'm going to go to, so you might as well just go to him first. That's one of the issues in other religions where they put a man in front of God. No, you can go straight to him. Go straight to the throne of grace. You can pray with him, and he will help you find your answers. His word, the more you read it, the more you know it. When you go to prayer, you already know what God wants for you to do. It'll help us when difficulties come. In trouble, we'll find us. We can count on that. We have four core commitments that I want us to really concentrate on this year. And those are, and we'll just quickly go over them. The first one is, of course, is to worship God passionately. To worship God passionately. And when we gather together and worship, I want us this year, even more so than we have, which has been great, but to come with a heart set to worship the Lord and put all of our distractions away and put our face totally on him. And not just here in church, but to do that, as Spurgeon said, you know, to, that our weekdays turn into Sundays and meals into sacraments and homes into temples and earth into heaven. It's all the time. It's all the time. Worship is all the time. The second is that we connect authentically together as a church. We need, to, we need each other. We need each other. The Christian life is not meant to be lived as individuals. It's, it's meant to be lived in community. We are an easy target from the enemy when we are isolated. Our Lord is a communal God who loves to live among his people. And he wants his people to enjoy each other and to live with each other. So if you're not already doing this, I, I suggest finding a group of people to have coffee with, three or four people, and just get together and, and read the Bible together and talk about it. How is the Lord working in your lives? Pray with each other, encourage each other, spur each other on. All of us are capable of doing that. The third one is to grow to know God deeply. And this goes with what we've already been talking about, reading the Bible, prayer, being in community together, spending time in his word, going beyond even just reading it to just studying it just a little bit, just a little extra. You would be amazed what you will learn. When you read it, have a notepad next to you if it helps and ask questions of it. Ask questions of what it is that you're reading. If you don't understand what it's saying, then write a note. 
Isaiah 24, 15. I have no idea what that verse is off the top of my head. But let's say if we read that verse, we wouldn't understand the context of it. And we could write, I need help understanding this. Or ask the question about what does that mean. This is how we grow to know God deeply is when we come to him and we ask him questions about his word. His revealed word about himself. This is what he wants us to know about him. He loves it when we ask. And, you know, Dennis and I and Don and other people here, we can help you with answers. We are not, um, we're not ogres who aren't willing to help you. So if you just need to ask us a question, we'd love to answer. I may not have the answer immediately, but I have the tools. We all have the tools to be able to, to look it up and help you. And the fourth one is to go and show and tell the gospel boldly. And this is the one that we struggle with sometimes because, you know, we don't like rejection. Who likes to be rejected? Who, who, anybody here today honestly loves people to not like them? I'm glad that there are no hands because, because we all want to be liked, right? In some ways or another, we all like to be people pleasers. And that's not necessarily always bad. But here's the thing. Sharing our faith should not be hard. It shouldn't be something that we dread. It should be something that we enjoy. We are holding the truth of heaven in our hearts. And God has given us the ability to share what Jesus has done in our lives with other people. Again, you spend time in his word, you spend time in prayer, you spend time growing and knowing and asking questions of it and learning things, you will get confidence in being able to share who he is to other people. Matthew 28, 20 says that, that he is with us always to the very end of the age. And as believers, the Holy Spirit is always with us. The question is, do we trust and believe that even when we are sharing our faith? We can't save anybody. God has already done the work. Jesus went to the cross. All we're called to do is sow the seed and let God finish the product. It's really not that hard. And so if you're unsure how to share your faith verbally or any other way, then talk to Dennis or to me. We, we can help you with that and, and make it easy for you to be able to share your faith and not feel like, you know, you're hurting anyone because you can't by sharing your faith. Just tell them who Jesus is. The first place that it starts, though, is in prayer. Let me ask you this question. How many lost people are on your prayer list? How many people that you know that are lost are on your prayer list? It starts on your knees. It starts there. So what am I asking us to do with this message this morning? My professor in applied theology at Tenet, Jane Williams, he described, he described following Jesus this way. He said, imagine Jesus is on a plane and he has his hand out. And he says, come on. Get on board, let's go. And you say, well, I don't want to, Jesus, because the plane might crash. Jesus says, 
It might. But I have you. Let's go. But you say, I'm not sure I want to get on a plane if I know it's going to crash. I mean, how many of us really want to get on a plane if we know it's going to crash, right? That seems silly. Jesus says, it might crash, but I have you. Let's go. But here's what I know. Yes, joining Jesus on the plane might feel like a risk. The plane won't crash. It won't. Jesus is on it. But even if it does, he is there to restore us. I can guarantee you, though, that on that flight that we are going to get on, there's going to be turbulence. And I hate turbulence. And for some of us, the turbulence is going to be severe. It's going to be severe. But believe it or not, we can relax knowing that Jesus has us. Here's what I have seen. I have flown a lot in my life, not so much in the last few years, but I used to travel a lot. And I remember getting on planes knowing it was going to be a rough flight because of the weather ahead, but taking comfort in the fact that a pilot who was taking a flight to get to his next destination was asleep in the seat next to me. Jesus is next to us. He is with us. He is there. He's the pilot. We don't have to fear. We can go to sleep and relax and let him fly, no matter how dangerous it might seem to us. Our life with Christ, it's, a, it's an adventure. If we just sit in our home and curl up in a chair in front of the TV, we miss so much of what God wants for us. Now look, we may not know exactly every place that that plane is going to take us. If you do, then you're better than me. But we do know where the final destination is. It's in paradise. It's in paradise because God has promised us that. So today as we go forward and we look forward to 2024, I want to remind us of what Joshua challenged the people of Israel with. Choose this day whom you will serve. Choose this day. I can tell you that I'm on the plane and I choose to serve Jesus. Are you with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God Almighty, we just thank you, Lord, for today. We thank you so much for everything that you've done and given us for this word, your message, Lord. You are awesome. You are holy. You are just. Father God, let us have the faith to get on the plane, to trust you, Lord, in wherever it is that you take us. Even through the bumpy times, Lord, even when it gets really rough, and we don't know when those times are going to come. They come out of the middle of nowhere. But, Lord, we know that you have us. You have us. Lord, we choose this day to serve you. And, Lord, in the passage, if we were to read later on in Joshua 24, the people said with their mouth, yes, they would serve you fully. But we know later on, Lord, that they didn't. They fell away. But Father God, I pray, I pray that today when we say we commit to you, that we will follow you, that we will trust you, Father God, that we would not fall away, that our faith will help us to endure even when it's hard. 
even when it seems stale, even when it doesn't feel good. Knowing that you are all we need. You are our heart's desire. You are our passion. You are the only one we worship. I praise you and thank you, Lord, for this day and just ask for your blessing upon this word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, and now we come to the Lord's table. If we could have our men come forward um, for the...